This is Gender Gab, a monthly podcast series where we chat or gab about gender and abuse from the perspective of two PhD researchers. We are your hosts, Julia and Annie, and this is sponsored by the Gender Research Group of Glasgow Caledonian University. episode is touching on sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Gender Gap. Um, I hope you all had a very good festive break since we last spoke. Um, this month is a very special episode. Um, unfortunately, Annie isn't joining us today, um, but she will be back in March, so no worries. But instead, we have a, an extra special guest joining me today. A very warm welcome to the wonderful Sinead. Yay! Hello. <laughs> Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I know I've said this to you before, but I am a huge fan of Gender Gap. So this is very exciting for me. I'm a big fan girl. And yeah, it's like meeting a celebrity, Julia. Here I am living my dream. Get an autograph for later. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, but absolutely great to have you on the pod this month. So thank you for being my co-host today. No um, since this is your first time on the pod, why don't you um, start with a wee introduction um, of yourself? So you are a fellow PhD, um, but maybe you also want to talk a little bit about your background and your research area um, and yeah, what you're getting up to at the moment. Yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, as you said, I I am um, a fellow GCU member of staff here, so I'm a lecturer in law um, and I am a qualified lawyer. Um, so I previously worked on a trial at the International Criminal Court, which involved sexual violence and conflict. Mm. And then when I came back to Scotland, I qualified domestically as a solicitor at a big commercial law firm. Mm. And then laterally, I worked at a small law centre specialising in ethnic minority and refugee rights. So that was the job I had mm. just before I started at GCU. Very intimidating, but very impressive work you've done so far. <laughs> so how did you then make the transition from being, um, well, a lawyer, or like a, this badass feminist lawyer, into pursuing um, lecturing and also your PhD? Um, do you want to tell us a bit more, more about that? Well, thank you. I mean, it's always, I think anyone's career sounds impressive when you summarise it in three sentences. Oh, don't you, sell yourself short. You don't go into all the jobs you didn't get and all the, the um, yeah, bad jobs you did along the way. But um, yeah, so I started GCU in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, just before we went into into lockdown, mm-hmm. um, so that was definitely a very strange moment to be starting a new role. Um, yeah, really, really strange time, really strange couple of years. But I can honestly say, Julia, it's been the best decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely love it here. I love my job here. Um, at GCU, I teach subjects like public law and human rights law, mm-hmm. um, and I work with our brilliant law clinic students on projects designed to use law for the common good in our communities. So you can kind of see there's a bit of a link still there, you know, between like professional practice and um, um, and kind of academic work. Um, I'm also studying for my PhD. So yeah, we're fellow PhD sisters. <laughs> um, I'm looking at how sexual offences are prosecuted in Scotland. And one of my other research areas, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is about the history of women in law and what equality in the legal profession today um, looks like. Uh, yes, yeah, so very, uh, very fascinating area to work on. And um, ahead of our recording today, I had the pleasure of reading one of your pieces you're working on at the minute, which you said is on women in the legal profession. And it's honestly been really, really fascinating to read, um, but also very frustrating at the same time, um, because you, you you take us as the reader on this um, very interesting and very fascinating journey. Um, and you go into quite a lot of detail about one particular woman um, whose name is Margaret Hall. Um, she's an actual legend. 
Um, I was so impressed with her um, because like Margaret or Minnie was essentially this incredibly clever 18 year young woman in Scotland who embarked on um, this journey of becoming a woman in the legal profession in the early 1900s and was essentially faced with a lot of obstacles. Um, well, one after the other. Yeah, absolutely. Margaret Hall is a real hero of mine. And as you said, she was a young woman. She was only mm. 18 um, and she wanted to become a lawyer. But at that time, only men could become lawyers. Of course. Um, the Incorporated Society of Law Agents, who were the body that essentially decided who could sit the exams that you needed mm-hmm. to sit to become a to become a lawyer, they refused her application to, to sit the exams. So it's really interesting as a story, I think, because for, for many, I'm sure, and indeed probably for me, I think mm-hmm. if I was 18 and it was 1900, that would have been the, the end of that story. But many, uh, Margaret Hall... She just totally refused to give up. Um, she, yeah, it's so impressive though, right? Because I'm Absolutely. not sure. I, I don't think if it was 18 year old me that Absolutely. I would have had that tenacity and that that defiant sense of of self to keep mm. um, keep pushing. But she did. She appealed the decision to the court, um, and she put up a great fight. She argued that women were practicing lawyers in mm. France, for example. Um, that women were medics. Um, that they were factory inspectors. Um, but unfortunately, the court refused her appeal and many never got to become a lawyer. Mm. But I think actually what inspires me about her is what we've just said. You know, she really fought for her principles from a very young age. Um, and in my mind, I think that shows that she would have been an incredible lawyer. You know, it really mm, is the absolutely. profession's loss um, that, that she never got to go on and and, and kind of live that, that dream. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. What also um, kind of stuck with me as well is one of the... Um, one of the quotes you cited um, of what she wrote in the New Liberal Review, which states, um, to quote, um, it is to be hoped that men will soon grant to women what he always enjoyed, the unrestricted choice of a career, and that any vague unbelief in the supposed unfitness of women to enter the legal profession may be superseded by a willingness to grant them full recognition. Yeah. End of quote. Um, and this is really interesting for me for a number of reasons. because um, So this was happening during the first feminist wave, so women had very little rights to begin with, um, weren't really seen as um, people per se, um, which we will get to in a second. And we know this because even Margaret points out how women had very few choices and that it was, um, well, men um, who could have like magically granted them a career. And um, well, this is a career that men always have had um, and always have access to because our world is shaped by men for men to uphold and reinforce Mm -hmm. um, these patriarchal power structures. And they are the default. um, And the default is also the case for the legal profession. So for her to actually say well, essentially say it as it is during such a time must have really sparked a bit of outrage, particularly um, among men in the legal profession um, and potentially also elsewhere. Um, yet even though she did her research and she did make excellent points in favor of women, generally speaking, um, it said her case didn't end well, um, which is just really frustrating. Yeah, and it's fascinating, you know, Julia, because I think what's so interesting is it seems like the public reaction to many being refused was actually pretty supportive no of way. her. Really? Yeah, oh, isn't that interesting. so interesting? It's really, really interesting. Yeah, it really is, because I think that, well, there was this satirical poem published mm-hmm. in the press, right, that basically mocked the court for reaching that decision, <laughs> um, which is, is really, really very interesting. And the court came to their decision basically by saying that women weren't people, they weren't persons, right? right? And the reason, yeah, and, and I know it sounds absurd. I'll try and explain it a little bit so it makes maybe a little more sense, but I mean, it is, it is absurd. Um, essentially, 
The act that governed how this process of becoming a lawyer worked referred to persons, right? Mm. And the court essentially said that persons only meant men. So the word persons mm. meant male persons, it meant men, mm. um, because that was how it had always been. That was what it had always mm. meant. Default. And, yeah, the, the default. Mm. And I suppose that ties in with this idea that when maybe legislation was being drafted, mm. men were very centred in that process. And mm. so the word persons means means men. Uh, women are kind of erased from that space. And for the court, the court has a specific role um, to, to do. And in this context, they didn't think it was their role to say persons mean women. Mm. They thought that was something for parliament to do. Parliament could, could introduce um, legislation that would allow for this. But it always meant men. And therefore the court, you know, in conservative kind of mm. small C terms, um, said that, that persons simply doesn't mean mm. women. It, me it means men. And I know that to modern ears that sounds very thin. Um, but I actually think at the time it sounded pretty thin to people yeah. too. I think that... <laughs> The poem shows us that in those days, people thought that was kind of absurd. Um, I'll actually read a wee bit of the poem now because it's great. We talked about it before and I'm so grateful to the wonderful Alison Lindsay of the National Records of Scotland who brought it to my attention um, because I think it does capture something about public sentiment that's mm -hmm. really difficult for us to access if we if we don't have these Absolutely. kind of historical resources. Um, so the poem is called Cocky Law mm -hmm. is a Girl, a Person. And the last couple of verses, um, I'll just read them now. So, the 13 clocking judges shook their feathers out and swore that the only kind of persons they had ever passed before were young men with shaven faces and they could not recognise this fair lady in her laces as a person in their eyes. But the public are the judges of the judges on the bench. And the public roared with laughter at this answer to the wench. If the lawyers won't let women pick from out their well-filled bowl, better say so straight than argue that a hen is not a fowl. So good. It's so it's good, so isn't good. it? It's yeah. so it's 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 funny and it's face. sharp and yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's great, it really brings it to life. <laughs> and I think that shows you that the press were essentially saying that the decision was was ludicrous and many people mm. felt like that. I'm not, it was. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm not sure people would necessarily have supported women becoming lawyers. I don't think yeah. that that's necessarily the, the sentiment there. But I think the sentiment very much being expressed, perhaps, mm. was that this is absurd. And Absolutely. persons, yeah. of course, does not only only mm. mean men, even if it's been read that way in context. Um, but, you know, even if that was a sentiment at the time, it took a long time for the law to change. It wasn't until 1919, through the Sex Disqualification Removal Act, that mm. women could actually become lawyers. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a long time and it wasn't, um, wasn't soon enough for... For Margaret, for many, um, she she didn't go on to become mm. a lawyer, and um, and that I suppose is the is the tragedy of, of that story is that she never got mm. to be in in that space that she she'd wanted to, yeah, to kind of dedicate her her career to. Um, yeah, that's that's so interesting too because it, so now we kind of like know a bit more about um, yeah. some broader historic context yeah. of like some well early accounts of women trying to enter the legal sphere in Scotland. Um, so it makes me wonder, um, how long did it then actually take for women to, mm -hmm. um, well, on one hand, not just be, um, well, to, to be able to to study law, but also mm -hmm. then to to practice law and also then enter some higher positions such as um, judges or senior judges. Um, so what does this look like? Yeah, so the first women to study law were two women at the University of Edinburgh, Evelyn McLaren 
and Joseph Gordon Stewart. Um, they graduated from the University of Edinburgh in 1909, mm. but neither of them actually went on to practice law. They couldn't do so at the time. The 1919 Act hadn't yet come into force, so I mean, they, so, they weren't going to become law agents, and, and they knew that when they started studying. So they, you can, you can. You could legally, you could pursue law as mm -hmm. an academic, but you mm -hmm. weren't allowed to do anything with it. So, what, what what did it look like for women then, if they could study it but not actually practice as legal scholar, like as lawyers? Yeah, I mean that's such an interesting question, a really important question actually, and one that um, I'm working with um, a team to, to research a little bit more around just now, mm -hmm. because they couldn't be admitted formally mm -hmm. as law agents. But these women were involved in legal practice right. just in an informal way. Mm -hmm. It was essentially a kind of a, a shadow economy mm -hmm. that we see start to build up. Women being excluded from being law agents, but still finding space mm -hmm. to use their skills in that way. Or to be involved in the law. Yeah, like I said, in, in informal ways. We see mm -hmm. women in these in these offices, women um, working as, as typists, women supporting mm -hmm. law agents um, and, and doing quite significant work in that space but not being formally recognized or indeed formally paid as right. as law agents so which, they give up their knowledge but they don't actually yeah. get to do the lawyering part of their and don't get to call themselves mm. law agents they don't get to there and there are yeah. certain things that could only be done by law agents so it's really interesting right they could go through university with with boys say men and um, learn all the same things mm. that they did but then there was a, a path for these mm. young men and that path wasn't there for women like yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so who was then the first woman lawyer? So the first woman lawyer in the whole of the UK um, was, yeah, really interesting, Magistan Anderson, um, a Glasgow girl um, like myself. She came from the south side of Glasgow mm -hmm. um, and she was, she was the first in the whole of the UK, um, not just in Scotland. She had, I think we do see that same defiant spirit that Minnie had. Mm -hmm. um, she started law school and her apprenticeship at a time when women couldn't become lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, but for her, the law changed in time and she did go on to, to be the first. Um, she actually trained at the law firm where I did my own training mm -hmm. 100 years after her, 100 Ooh, years later. Exciting. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's an odd thing to think about. Um, but yeah, she trained with a firm called McLean Murray Spence and the, the men in that firm allowed her to start her apprenticeship um, before they knew that she would actually mm -hmm. be able to become a law agent. She actually submitted like the registration of her apprenticeship and it was bounced back saying, mm -hmm. well, why are you trying to register this? You can't become a lawyer. Right. Um, but ultimately, when um, the act was passed, she eventually was allowed to, to become a lawyer mm -hmm. and become a law agent. And she was the very she was the very first. Um, and I, I do, I think about her a lot, um, how she opened just so many doors mm -hmm. for, for women like me today. Um, and I think that... It is really important to remember these early women pioneers because it must have been incredibly difficult, incredibly mm. lonely to be in that space. And I'm just incredibly grateful for everything they did. And also that today I am a woman lawyer surrounded by brilliant women in mm. law. And that wasn't the case for Madge and, mm. and wasn't the case for Margaret Hall. And that must have been really, really difficult. So it must almost feel like for you that you had like really big shoes to fill. Yeah. Um, because of these like really inspiring women that came before. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I, the shoes that would <laughs> be entirely impossible for me to, to fill. But certainly a legacy that sits mm. quite heavily with me as well. Mm. That I think about a lot and think that women like Madge opened doors. Mm. And therefore it is not enough for me just to be you know, content with with where we're at as a yeah. profession, that it is a responsibility that you have when you have access to that kind of privilege mm -hmm. to 
then keep pushing yeah. to make it more accessible for, for mm. other people. Absolutely. Um, you also mentioned a couple of other women um, in mm. your paper. Um, so who else do you want to tell us a little bit more? About? Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting to see like another couple of women because that is that is important. It was mm-hmm. not many, not, <laughs> not, not, not huge numbers, <laughs> not huge numbers. One is Margaret Kidd. So in 1923, mm-hmm. she becomes the first woman member of the Faculty of Advocates. Mm-hmm. So that's what we call the Scottish Bar. Oh, okay. Basically, solicitors um, can appear in the lower courts, mm-hmm. but the Faculty of Advocates, advocates can appear in the highest courts. Mm-hmm. So Margaret becomes the first woman member of the Faculty of Advocates. She actually later goes on to become the first woman judge. Oh, interesting. Yeah, really interesting. She's she's a really interesting character. Um, but it wasn't as though there were a lot of women around mm-hmm. her either. Um, there wasn't a lot of women coming through at this time. She was the only woman at the bar, um, a, a member of the Faculty of Advocates, for 26 years um, until she was joined by Isabel Sinclair. 26 years? Yeah, 26 years. Almost long. three decades yeah. by herself. Which is... Horrendous. Yeah, I mean, I think that is quite quite shocking. Um, and again... So was this like kind of like an access issue or more... Um, yeah, it's interesting because no longer was there a formal... Um, a formal barrier in place, mm. if you like. There wasn't a, a piece of legislation mm. required. But I think that's also an important reminder to lawyers sometimes that um, that we, we love legislation, um, but, <laughs> but legislation can't necessarily change mm. culture. Mm. And um, th- there were still very much cultural expectations, mm. social expectations placed on mm. women. So I've spoken to a son of um, a contemporary of Madge's who was at university with Madge, um, but she got married mm-hmm. and she had children. And she did not become a, mm-hmm. a practicing lawyer. And I think it is significant that Madge herself did not marry. She did mm-hmm. not have children. And so perhaps those social norms um, weren't, weren't placed on her in quite mm-hmm. the same way. Um, perhaps that was something she was conscious mm-hmm. of. Perhaps that's why she mm-hmm. she she didn't choose that path in life. Um, we won't know because the records yeah. are, are, you know, there's there's just, there was no real discussion of this and, and the records are quite poor. Mm-hmm. Um but I think we do know that that there were still very much cultural and social mm. barriers, and I mean that makes sense. We know right. that that to be true in, yeah. with with all the the, the um, professions at, at this time. Yeah. So instead of like formal restrictions or official restrictions exactly. in place, we still had all these informal um, hurdles that Definitely. women have to go through in order to pursue legal yeah. careers. And, and so many of those um, those barriers that we see existing then exist in some form mm. today as well and i think that that's where there are really important lessons mm. to to be learned and, and to take forward it might not be the the same or on the same scale or the same um uh, you can't necessarily draw a direct analogy mm. but there's definitely lessons to mm. be learned from those early women pioneers who were essentially excluded from the profession by, right. by other means you yeah know? yeah so yeah. in the end what we know is that any progress we had, it was mm. absolutely shockingly slow. <laughs> yeah, it was really slow. I mean, the first women to become law professors in Scotland, Professor Noreen Burroughs, OBE, and Professor Sheila McLean, OBE, they were appointed at the University of Glasgow. In, mm-hmm. um, and I usually get people to guess the year, but we, we already know the year, <laughs> yeah. Julia, so we'll get you to guess. Um, but but for, for listeners, I think it is interesting to think when you expect that, when that would be. Um, because the answer is shockingly recent. It's 1990. It was the year I was born. Um, and I think 30 years ago. Yes, oh it's wild. I think that is really mm-hmm. hard to get your head around. 1990, before we had 
first women law professors. So you think about Madge being at university in, in 1916. Mm. Um, and yeah, we're, we're talking you know, 80 years later, we're, we're looking at first women law professors. Um, and I mean, similarly with the senior courts, we see mm. this slow progress too. In 1996, mm-hmm. um, Lady Cosgrove was the first woman permanently appointed to the Court of Session. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the big firsts were remarkably recent and very much within like our living memory, yeah. um, which I think yeah. is also a very important part of Scottish legal history that we yeah. need to yeah, It is with. quite interesting, right? Because like all these, this, this very slow mm. progress essentially spanned over almost 100 years yep. of making very little progress mm-hmm. that happened over this time. Um, so where does this take us now in um, around 2020, 2022, considering there's a general lack of gender equality in today's society mm. still um, in any institution? Uh, I assume there's also still quite a lot of um, shortcomings present in... Um, Scotland in terms of the legal profession and um, mm. I know you for example mentioned in your paper despite some exceptions in the field such as Lady Dorian as a senior judge or the appointment of um, Aisha Anwar as a sheriff principal um, women are still massively underrepresented at almost every level. Yeah I mean absolutely we do have pioneers at sheriff principal Anwar and, and, and Lady Dorian but we we do still see big gaps mm-hmm. Um it might be helpful just for, for listeners to set out a little bit about how the legal profession is structured. So, like I said earlier, you've got solicitors, um, then you have the faculty of advocates, um, and then you've got the judiciary. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, mostly what happens is people go to law school, and then you go on and become a solicitor if you want to enter the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe later in your career, you'll go on and become an advocate. Some some people won't. Mm-hmm. You, you choose to spend your career as a solicitor. Some people might become an advocate, mm-hmm. um, and, and um, you might go on and become a judge. But... At the solicitor branch of the profession, if we look at that, first of all, that's now majority women. So, yeah, and and actually in our law schools now, it's an overwhelming Mm -hmm. majority of women. Mm -hmm. Even when I think about my own apprenticeship, uh, traineeship, we call it now, Madge would have been doing that in McLean Murray Spence as a lone woman, Mm -hmm. like entirely alone. In my year group where there was, I think there was 14 of us, um, 10 10 mm-hmm. women, I think, of, of the 14. Oh, wow. So, okay. I mean, really, like, a significant majority mm-hmm. um, of women entering the, the profession. And I'm very grateful for that. I think about that all the time, how lonely mm-hmm. it must have been Madge to be all by herself. And I was surrounded by a collective of incredible um, young people um, and young mm-hmm. women when I joined McLeese. But we see that at that lower end, that entry level, mm-hmm. um, but we don't see that at the more senior level. So right. kind of in, in the Scottish legal profession, if you think about solicitors, a progression route for them would be going on to become partners in law mm-hmm. firms. But actually, we see that only 30% of law firm partners are women. So right. that's low. Um, mm-hmm. And when we look up the ladder, if mm-hmm. you like, there's a lot of young women at the bottom looking up yes. and seeing a lot of men. Um, similarly, less than 30% of advocates are women. Mm-hmm. We see similar figures in terms of the judiciary. So what we have now is not really so much an access problem as a progression problem. Mm-hmm. Women are the majority at the entrance stage, but they are leaving. We know that Mm -hmm. they're leaving or they're not progressing up. And sometimes people say, this is a pipeline problem. And I do understand that argument. But the truth is, we've seen an increase in women entering the profession since the 1980s. Mm, And yeah, you know, and and these changes don't seem to be making a difference at the senior levels. Mm -hmm. Um, So it may be a pipeline issue, but we have a pretty leaky pipeline, if that is the case. Um, Women leaving the profession and and that's for, for... yeah, and a number of reasons. So that is a real issue that we have to address today. Right. So in the end, we have like the opportunity for women to do it, but also they don't have the opportunity to actually progress. Yeah, in, what in doing. some ways. So they can be lawyers, but this is where it um, well stops for yeah. a lot. 
Um, this is also uh, like really um, frustrating, to be honest. And um, it made me a little think and research a little bit on the representation of women in the EU. Um, mm-hmm. So in other EU countries. And I found a report from 2017 from the EU Parliament where um, it was essentially stated that most law students are women in all EU countries. That is both on a um, bachelor's and master's degree level. Um, But this is flipped. um, So we get a majority um, of men on the doctoral level. And um, to stay in academia, women lecturers also only make up around a fourth of law lecturers. Oh, that's so interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah. And what... Then also like becomes really interesting is um, looking at lawyers and judges. So members of the bar in the European Union are also a majority men. Mm. However, um, so the gender gap there is definitely narrowing. And we do okay. have a couple of countries where it's essentially um, equal. Mm. Um, but what I found really, really interesting is um, the gender ratio among judges. Um, because in common law countries, so that includes um, Scotland, England and Wales, Ireland and Malta, Judges are predominantly men with um, Mm -hmm. more than 60%. But in 11 civil law countries, that is actually flipped and we see a uh, Mm -hmm. majority women. And it's even the case in three countries, namely Latvia, Romania and Slovenia, where we actually have 70% of judges' positions are occupied by women. Um, But... um, Let me preface this by saying um, the report does say it might just be the case because legal professions are not actually well paid Mm. um, and not really seen as high rewarding. So it might just be a case of men not seeing it as rewarding to Mm. enter the legal profession. So that might be the case why women are more represented there. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? And I mean, there are different career routes into the judiciary Mm. in other countries. So you can kind of start that in earlier stage, whereas in Scotland, for example, you have a, a... a long career before right. you become a judge so that and and that perhaps again comes into mm-hmm. this like pipeline discussion yeah. but what you're saying there about pay I think is it's very interesting because there is a dynamic in the Scottish legal profession too that shows disparity in relation to mm. to pay so for solicitors um so the member of uh, the, the the branch of the profession that I am a member of um the gender pay gap is about 70 seven pence for every pound our male colleagues earn so yeah the, the men just sitting across the desk we be earning a pound and i be earning 77p um and that's really difficult to to accept and mm. i think particularly when we think about having having access um no longer being a barrier but mm. but pro- progression is a real problem yeah. because that feeds into that gender mm. pay gap absolutely um because we all start at the same level the the boys the men that, mm. I, that I trained with we started in the same day yeah. but then this gap exists and, yeah. and so as we see that opening up so absolutely yeah it's not the same problems yeah. that Minnie and, and Madge were facing but there it is still yeah. a very real problem and even some are prob- probably also mirrored right because like we we kind of like to go back mm. to like informal um restrictions of like yeah. women being more likely to take time off to um you know become mothers absolutely and, you know to to, yeah. to to have a chunk of their time that they could be putting exactly. towards their legal professions, um, but they can't. Yeah, and then um, it has an impact then, in terms yeah, of exactly, progression, exactly. which impacts um, on pay, yeah, and absolutely. then pay feeds into... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yes. just like a vicious cycle exactly. that just doesn't stop. Um, but before we spiral any deeper into... Um, into the vicious cycle. <laughs> into the vicious cycle. <laughs> um, um, we can come back to this in a different episode, yeah. um, which would be really, really interesting. Let's move on. Um, you were also um, talking a little bit about um, other groups who aren't represented in the professions, isn't this right? Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. I mean, the the vast majority of firsts we've talked about today are white women, mm. middle class women. Um, it's usual absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, and same for myself. I'm a, I'm a white woman. I'm a middle class woman. Um, mm. But there are. Um, there are additional challenges for, for others and we see that represented in the makeup mm. of the profession. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a profession that, um, for example, there's um, over-representation of, of private schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a social mobility issue mm-hmm. there. Um, we also see that people from BAME backgrounds, um, for example, they appear to be less likely to be partners than mm-hmm. their white peers. Right. So 18.7% of all BAME lawyers are partners as compared to 29.5% for their white counterparts. Right. So it's almost half. Uh, yeah, and there's mm. a really there's really great work being mm. done by organizations like Scottish Ethnic Minority Lawyers Association, um, like Diversity Plus. Mm-hmm. But there are real challenges there that we need to address head on as a profession because th- those problems exist. Right. And yeah, when I think about it having taken a hundred years, um, for us to make progression yeah. for, for, for women, it's just entirely unacceptable Absolutely. for that to be the case. Yeah, um, yeah. For, and it just like others. once again just mirrors the general um you know public attitude toward, yeah. towards it or like the, the restrictions um people of color in such face um or poor people face when trying to access anything. But um then again to tie it back to what you were saying, um the Scottish Ethnic Minority Lawyers Association and individuals like yourself have been challenging this lack of representation and also working on some ways to make the legal profession um more representative of society. Yeah, absolutely. I mean organizations like SEMLA do brilliant work. The Law Society's mm-hmm. Racial Inclusion Group have just released their report um into the profession, which is a brilliant, mm-hmm. um brilliant piece of work that I would really recommend people uh, engage with. Um, so there are people that are doing important work and, and trying to um, to make change here, and it's something that I really I really do care about. It's like I said earlier about you know when Madge came mm. in, she was a woman all on her own, and she had to carve out this space, which mm. is now a space that I can occupy and, and feel comfortable in mm. and, and and face challenges. But but that is a space that is very clearly for me too, and I think that having benefited from that privilege, it's very mm. important that you you feed back into it and make the profession more. Um, yeah, more more equal, more more diverse, more inclusive. Mm-hmm. So over the last few years, with colleagues who work at the University of Glasgow, I've been working on the Women in Law project. Mm-hmm. Um, that project seeks to document the historical firsts, like the first we've talked about today, um, and think about what we can do to make the profession today more equal. So yeah, it's really great work, Julia. I, I love it um, because I think that I think it matters. I think it's important mm-hmm. to know your history, and I think it's important to think about. Um, what that tells us about today mm-hmm. and how we can tackle challenges today. So, no, I I, I love being involved in that work. Um, we've created a digital exhibition mm-hmm. of women's voices for women in law have written essays about what it means for them to be a woman in mm-hmm. law today. Um, we hope that other people will read these voices, they'll feel seen, they'll feel heard, mm-hmm. um, and that by drawing attention to the issues that we face collectively we can take strategic mm-hmm. action around mm-hmm. that. Um, so we're currently asking women who want to share their voices, particularly ethnic minority women, to get in touch with myself or the brilliant um, Naima Yakub sajid who is um, the, the founder of mm-hmm. Diversity Plus. Yeah, there'll be there'll be notes, I think, to contact us uh, in the yes, show notes. Yes, of course, we will add all of this in the description down below as well. So please do check it out. Um, really great to see someone um, as incredibly smart and passionate <laughs> to be involved in such a really important project. Thanks, Julia. I mean, a little bit of flattery goes a long way. So, so thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it is a real joy mm. for me to be involved in this work. Um, learning about the history of women in law has challenged me to think mm. about 
how far we've come in the last hundred years, mm-hmm. um, how far we've come in, you know, these achievements that we've talked about that are in mm-hmm. very recent memory. Um, but it's also made me think about how far we still have to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky that I get to learn about the pioneers through research of women like Dr. Pat Lucy mm-hmm. and Alison Lindsay of the National Records of Scotland, Professor Maria Fletcher, um, and work with Maria, um, Dr. Charlie Peavers, Dr. Rachel McPherson, mm-hmm. Mary Claire Boyle and, and others um, to think about what we do do in the future. Um, so it is sometimes frustrating how little we know about these early women and mm-hmm. um, particularly early women of, of, of colour in the mm-hmm. profession. And I think that's really what drives the project. Right. We want to both uncover what we can of our past while also documenting the profession today. So in the future, women don't have to wonder what was it like mm-hmm. to be a woman in law in 2022? There's an archive that is there for them that exists that, that they can access. I think that's a really wonderful um, ending or brings our Thank episode you. to a wonderful end or like ended on a high note. Um, and as you also know, um, Annie and I always end our podcast um, on another positive note, namely our accomplishments of the month. Yeah. So why don't you start us off this time? Well, thank you. I love listening to accomplishment <laughs> of the month. Every okay. time I listen to it, I think they are incredibly accomplished. <laughs> and then I had to come up with my my own and so I thought difficult, it's really it? difficult yeah it's not been an accomplished start to 2022 <laughs> um but I had a little bit of think about it and thinking about um this year I've been making more time to read non-law books mm-hmm. um so this year I'm reading rereading um Dr Maya Angelou's um autobiographies mm-hmm. which are just the most wonderful books and carving out a wee bit of time on the train and the commute um, or on a Saturday morning with a little croissant um, <laughs> to, to read has been just a really very joyful thing for mm-hmm. me. So I'm counting that as as my accomplishment, just creating space for that kind of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely an accomplishment. Yeah. Very important. Thank you. So, Thank um, you. Yay, yay, you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so for, for me, it has been, um, my accomplishment has been, I finally started my field work um, where Straight I want news. to talk to people who have experienced having their intimate images created or shared without consent and those who have been threatened to have them shared. Um, links to the study are um, in the bio. Uh, in the description. Um, I've also actually created the TikTok <laughs> because there can't be a Gender episode where I don't mention TikTok. Um, so if the audience is interested, you can find me there too um, at Julia Research. So check me out. Um, except don't because it's really cringy. No, you're going to become a big TikTok star, Julia. Absolutely. Remember, remember us when you're making Obviously. your millions on TikTok. Obviously. Remember us all back here. Um, but yeah, uh, let's bring this to a close. So thank you again for joining me today. Um, um, podcast listeners, if you want to know more about Sinead's work um, you can follow her on Twitter at Sinead90 and if you want to know more about the work she's doing especially with the law clinic and her students you can follow them at GCU Law Clinic on Twitter as well thank you so much for having me Julia um, I, I mean it when I say that I'm a big fan of the podcast oh, and you. honestly it's been such a pleasure being on it so thank you very well, it was much very great having you here so um, and if anyone else is, lis- um, is listening and is interested in joining us for a gap as a guest speaker in the future please do get in touch you can DM us on Twitter at gendergab or write us an email at gendergab at outlook.com and again you can find Sinead on Twitter at Sinead90 and links are as always in the description down below Bye. Bye.